On this episode of Your Asian Best Friends, we have another installment of Asians in the News. We react to Will Smith slapping the shit out of Chris Rock. We talk to Domi Shi, the director of Disney Pixar's Turning Red. And Taylor and I revisit our adolescence. I'm Taylor. And I'm Bernard. And we are Your Asian Best Friends. Welcome to season four of Your Asian Best Friends. Season four. <laughs> Every time we take a long extended break, it's a season. And we fucked a, up again. We, fucked up. we said, another season. We said, I think it was last episode or the one before, we said no more breaks. No. And we did a good job there for two weeks. <laughs> for two weeks. But we're back. Season four. Season four. <laughs> Your Asian best friends. Uh, yeah, it's been a while. What happened this time, Taylor? Uh... Gosh, it's been such a blur for the past <laughs> month. I have no idea what, <laughs> what happened. I mean, my father-in-law was and stayed with us for two weeks, and that was a really fun time <laughs> that I had. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Yeah? Because you know how much I love uh, being extroverted for two weeks straight and not no, having it, it, personal it, space. Playing the role of host. You yes. love hosting people. <laughs> I love hosting people. <laughs> This is my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> oh, man. So that happened. And then, uh, gosh, what else happened? I mean, it's been so long that I don't remember. Well, we were we were slated to record a couple weeks ago. Yeah. But I had an opportunity I couldn't refuse. Oh, that's right. And I believe we, maybe next episode we can share something special. I talked to... Michelle Yeoh, uh-huh. who is incredible, uh, legendary. She's in the new movie, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Um, yeah, we'll talk about that movie maybe next episode. But it's incredible. It's so good. You guys got it. it's out now. You guys go see it. Uh, Michelle Yeoh, and then Kihai Kwan, who played Short Round in Indiana Jones. Oh shit. And you, I, well, I'll play. We'll play some of that too next episode. So wait, you know, just you got to tune in next episode. It was good stuff. Um, I got called short round a lot when I was a kid. <laughs> I bet you did. I sure did. <laughs> I didn't so. get that one because I was fat. <laughs> <laughs> Were there any like fat? Asian? I got Yokozuna. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's taking a little far. <laughs> closer to short round. I would say you're closer to short round. And resemblance. So, yeah, uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. I spoke to members of the cast, the directors, um, uh, one of whom, Daniel Kwan, is uh, Korean and had a really fascinating conversation with, with him, actually. I, th- I think you'll really like it as well, Taylor. So I'm awesome. excited for you to hear that. I'm excited for everyone listening to hear that uh, next episode. But this episode, we've got another special movie, another Asian movie. <laughs> Yeah. Another, all these Asian movies. It's like every episode we've got one. I know. You know, when we first started this podcast so many months ago, I thought it was going to be pretty short-lived because I thought we'd run out of material. Shang-Chi. Yeah, I was like, Shang-Chi. And then, <laughs> and then <laughs> wait another four years and our podcast is back. Episode three. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's just been one after another. Dude, amazing. Yeah. Every episode, uh, this episode, it's Turning Red, Disney Pixar's latest animated feature, and it's uh, 
Yeah, it's super Asian. Yeah, it is. Not American. Not Asian American. No, another Canadian Asian. Canadian Asians. What's with that? Why? why I don't know. That? You know, <laughs> we're in this on the same team, but I feel like I know it's a little. It's like a little. Eh. Yeah, it is a little <laughs> meh. <laughs> no, no, turning red. It's. A, I, I think it's a really. Um, in some ways, it's a kind of a important movie right now, and uh, at the very least, it's an entertaining movie for young people, uh, the likes of which I don't think we've really seen um, ever. Yeah. It definitely um, is targeted to a different audience than I think Pixar usually targets their movies to. I feel like Pixar targets towards young children and adults at the same time. And this movie felt so specific to that transition that you make between being a little kid to becoming pulling away from from your parents and them become them being your identity and start to focus on your own. Absolutely. To in a more pointed way, I'll say the movie in a lot of ways is about menstruation. 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 <laughs> Not a word I say often. Menstruation. Menstruation. But we're both we're both going to have to deal with it as fathers, right? Girl dads. Girl dads. We're girl yeah. dads. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I actually, speaking of, I spoke to the director, Domi Shi, mm -hmm. about that angle that the movie takes. It's a yeah. really, you know, it's the first, um, I think, the first coming of age movie about a preteen girl who that actually tackles that very, you know, kind of significant moment. In a young yeah. woman's life, kind of not on the nose, you know, it's not graphic or anything, but they're totally talking about it. Yeah, they're definitely talking <laughs> very clearly. About it. So I think that's cool, and um, we'll talk about that. That's our that's our kind of main thing today. Uh, Turning red, my conversation with Domi Shi, but also Taylor and I are gonna hit the rewind button again and talk and talk about our formative years as. Preteens. <clears throat> so that's the show today. Uh, but before we get into turning red and our puberty, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> when they're not, everyone's going to shut it off after turning red. <laughs> that's not going to work out, but we'll see. We hope you stick around. Um, before that, we've also got Asians in the news. Before we get to actual Asians in the news, though, <laughs> I'm so lost. Actual <laughs> Asians. We got to go to non-Asians in the news. Are we go? Are we hitting our Big Willie style? Oh, I thought we were hitting our Joe Rogan no, segment. No, no, no. I'm retiring the Joe Rogan and uh, Aquafina. Oh yeah, apology big segment. Style. Big Willie. Big Willie style, dude. Big palm. He's got big palms. Big hands. <laughs> right across Chris Rock's smiling face. Oh man. Continued to smile after this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Chris Rock handled it the best out of pretty much anybody. Like I can't imagine, I can't imagine I could, I would have handled it anywhere near as well as he did. No, he owned that stage in some ways. I mean, before and after he got slapped. <laughs> yeah. So the nice thing about this topic is we don't have to recount shit. Everyone knows what we're talking about. Oh yeah. I don't have to explain. No. This story is about. Did you watch it live? I no. I told. I think I texted you because um, you texted me about. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Will Smith and I said, 
I heard about it because yeah. I don't really watch award shows. Yeah. So I heard about it and then I thought it was a work. I thought it was yeah. fake or, or um, staged. Yeah. And then I, I watched it and I was like, wow, this is clearly not staged. <laughs> no. His Will's <laughs> lip was quivering. Yeah. When he said, get my wife's name out <laughs> your fucking mouth. His lip. <laughs> yeah, man. I thought it was a work too at first when I saw him walk up on stage. Because it was so goofy the way he approached Chris Rock. I thought I was like, oh, he's like he's a pimp walk. He's playing it up, you know? Yeah. And then uh, even when he slapped him, I thought it was a work until I saw the uncut footage. Right. The uncut footage, I was like, oh, shit. From like Japan. Or yeah, whatever. from Japan. <laughs> <laughs> Our Asians. Your, your people. Your <laughs> people, people helped us out. <laughs> and that was insane, man. I knew it was insane in the moment. And then the shock wore off, and then a couple of days you're just like, "What the fuck, Wilson? <laughs> like, what the fuck is wrong?" So he's with you? Like, yeah, like that's fucked up, right? So we all agree. Yeah, Will Smith even agrees. Yeah, that he was, that was a douche douchebag thing to do. Yeah, you know, I heard I was listening to uh, Mark Maron's podcast, and he had a little segment on it. Oh yeah, and I think he had the best or encapsulation of how I feel about it. It's like we just saw somebody lose his fucking mind and not know where they were, not care where they were or anything. They just lost their fucking mind. And I'll be honest, I can completely relate to that situation yeah. of losing your goddamn mind and not caring about the consequences of your actions because you're just like... Like out of anger specifically? Out of anger specifically, and it's like an out of body experience where you're just like, "Oh, look at me going up here and slap." You like black shit. out, kind yeah. Of, you right? kind of black out, and I completely have related to that experience, and it never ends well. I can, you know, I it's been a while, but I can relate to that too. I, I've definitely yeah. blacked out and like done something out of anger and been like, "What the hell? Yeah, what the? Why the hell did you do that? Like, like a second later." Yeah, and then you later. get this chill over your body. Oh, you like yeah, snap out of it. Yeah, you're like shaking like, and stuff. Like, <laughs> oh, fun oh, piece of worst. shit. It's the worst feeling. So in some ways, I can empathize with Will Smith on that, but at the same time, it's like, fuck, man. Like it's not about the joke. It was just a trigger that just got into his brain in the wrong way and just fucking broke him. I agree with that. I think there's, I think there's a good measure of toxic masculinity in there yeah where he sure. feels because i'm a man yeah i need no, to protect sure. my helpless wife i need to slap the shit out of this guy at the very least or else i'm gonna look like a pussy or you know like like yeah. whatever whatever macho uh bullshit was running through his veins yeah at that moment uh yeah, you can see it on his face. Like when he said, "Get my wife's name." Like I, that I just saw his <laughs> lip, and I'm like, "This is, this is real." He's, yeah, he's so mad. Yeah, he was pissed. It felt surreal. It's still kind of surreal. You never see way. that. It just never happens. Yeah, you know, and I don't think it's like a. I don't think it's foreshadowing what like things to come. Like I think it was an isolated incident. I don't think people are just going to start walking up on stage at these award shows or in comedy clubs more than they've ever done before. I mean, like, you know, when you're a provocative comic, I'm sure this isn't the first time that Chris Rock has gotten himself into shit, right? Or someone's been offended by what he said. Or somebody's been offended or somebody's tried to approach the stage, but you know what? They probably had security and weren't thinking Who's like- Who's going to stop Will Smith? No one's going to stop Will Smith, right? 
Because he probably thought it was a fucking joke. Or he was going to joke back, you know, give yeah, him a little exactly. like, joke slap. Yeah, but no, he fucking slapped him. Will Smith just slapped the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah. I love that he said that. He said, slap the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah. So real. Yeah, I mean, he did a great job, man. <clears throat> and he, he recovered and got the stage back in some way. Like, I'm not sure how he did it, but he came out looking great. The poise. Yeah. He hasn't commented on it yet. Yeah. Because he wants people to buy tickets to a show. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it works. Good for him, man. It works. Really, it's a sur- it was a surreal moment, um, but let- let's get to actual Asians in the news. And I'm going to have to lean on you for this one, Taylor. All right. As of this recording, the Grammys happened. They did. Last night. Yeah. And um, Asians fucking tore the house down from what I hear. They did. I mean, to be specific, your people tore the house down. Filipinos. Filipinos. Everywhere. <laughs> just like absolutely everywhere. So listen to this. I'm just going to run down the winners and then yeah. we'll talk about the show itself because I didn't watch, but Taylor watched. So I'm going to learn uh, right now how the show was. But for the Grammys, uh, as far as Asians are concerned, Asian winners, Silk Sonic, biggest winner, the duo of yeah. Anderson Pack, Bruno Mars, Anderson Pack, Korean, Bruno Mars, Filipino. Uh, they won every category they were in. Yeah. Record of the year, song of the year. Uh, it's the same category. <laughs> uh, best R&B performance and best R&B song. Um, and I'll just run through these quick and then we can talk about everyone. Um, Olivia Rodrigo, huge uh, come up as well. Best new artist, best pop vocal album for Sour, and best pop solo performance for Driver's License. She's Filipino. Her, Vallejo's own, also Filipina. You know, it's funny as I told... Uh, my partner last night, I was like, if BJ was a better Asian, he definitely would have a connection to her. Like, <laughs> like Vallejo, family, familial Vallejo, Yeah, it's like, Vallejo's not that big of a town. <laughs> There's always a chance. There's always a chance. It's happened, follow, it has happened to me. Follow the chain of Filipinos. I bet you could get to her. 100%. She's my cousin. My cousin, her, won for um, best traditional R&B performance. There's more. Uh, Jennifer Coe was Korean, won for Best Classical Instrumental Solo for Alone Together. I don't know if that's an album or... You know, I don't follow that category closely, but... Not I'm, televised, I imagine. Not televised. I also imagine that Asians have been dominating that category <laughs> for the best. <laughs> but I don't know that. I don't know. But fact is... She's the first Korean American to win the award. No shit. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that kind of that's kind of not as like amazing as it first sounds. Like first Korean American. What if there's yeah. like a Korean Korean or? I mean, how many of those do you think Yo Yo Ma has in his? his Yo Yo Ma wins. Speak of the devil. Yo Yo Ma and Emmanuel Axe's Beethoven cello sonatas won Best Chamber Music Small Ensemble Performance, Yo-Yo Ma. There you go. I love he, Yo-Yo Ma. He's so sick, dude. Have you like heard like him just like talk? Yeah, he's the best. He's great. <laughs> yeah. He's great. <laughs> yeah, he's the best. One, so thoughtful and like humble. Yeah. I wow. wish he would have had a platform earlier on. You know, he's just kind of like this virtuoso, you know, but it seems like in more recent years, he's been talking more. And That's a good point. He's fucking great, man. 
Yeah, he's he just didn't have the platform to show his personality before. Yeah. He's been around forever. Yeah, forever. How long has he been around, I wonder? As long as we've been alive, he's been... Really? And because he was, he was a child prodigy. That's he's right, been, that's he's right. He's been playing since he was... Like, he's been playing in front of, like, heads of state since he was eight or nine. That's amazing. Um, I can't say this name. Sangeeta Kaur, I'm so sorry, who is Vietnamese, and Gila Pittman, doesn't sound Asian at all, but they're together as a team. Uh, one for best classical solo vocal album for uh, mythologies, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then uh, Aruj Aftab became oh, the yeah. first ever female Pakistani singer to win a Grammy. Nice. She won for best global music performance for her song. I can't say this either. <laughs> Mohabbat. Nice. Aruj was also nominated for best new artist. Yeah, she um, was. And damn, look at that! Listen to that. That was great, man. That list of all Asians. It was pretty crazy. I mean, I was watching the, you know, the it was mostly musical performances on the Grammys, which I think was a great move by them. I don't remember it ever being this focus on just the performance. Give me a little recap. (laughs) Give me a little (laughs) recap. I'm not. But But, I mean, and Silk Sonic opened the show. I'm not the biggest Silk Sonic fan, and uh, <laughs> but it was entertaining as hell, man. They owned that stage. Did and they like, do like a Motown thing? Yeah, like they did like the Soul Train. Yeah, they did like the 60s, 70s, mm. um, and they own that stage, man. They're fun as hell to watch, for sure. Good entertainers, yeah. I just don't need to listen to the whole goddamn album of it, <laughs> but for what they did, it was it was great. Yeah, there's so much. Those, yeah, so much fun. Those two, they're funny. Like, they really are. You should. Really you funny. should watch. You should I need watch to watch. It. I mean, you should watch it because, like, <laughs> did they do funny stuff? They did the like, whole night. Po- That's great. <laughs> <laughs> they oh, definitely man. endeared themselves to me. I mean, I've always liked uh, Anderson Pac, and I, I like Bruno Mars. I don't dislike them. It's just I wasn't I the biggest Bruno to, Mars fan. I can't listen to the whole fucking album of it. I like I like that album. There are a couple tracks I skip, but the album's fun. Um I most I just love Anderson Peck's drumming. He's a phenomenal drummer. Yeah, he's just great. in the pocket. He's so good. Yeah, like effortless. He's, he's great. Um nothing fancy, but you know, he he's in there. He's he's so such a groovy drummer. You don't like Bruno? Not real. Not until kind of like the past. I his last album, there were a few tracks I liked, but I wasn't like a fan of him. Yeah. Before that, I really didn't like him. And then the last couple albums, he started doing the throwback. He like did some music video where it was like it looked like in living color, mm-hmm. and like the guys were all dancing in front of the girls, and the girls were like fanning themselves. Yeah. And I was like, dude, I miss this. Like, I, <laughs> I miss when like I don't know. Uh, young people love or lust was like wholesome back in the 90s. Yeah. Now it's fucking gross and like I don't want to hear about it. Yeah. Um, with uh, pop music these days. But um, yeah, I'm sounding like such an old dude. But uh, yeah, like when Bruno started doing throwback stuff and started sounding like 70s funk mm-hmm. and like Motown, like Silk Sonic reminds me a lot of Jackson 5 and I love Jackson 5, just youthful Motown. Um, I like it a lot. So now I'm a Bruno, Bruno Mars fan. Yeah. No, I mean, he's got a shit ton of charisma. I just can't do the nostalgia shit that much. I understand. Yeah, I get I that. I can, I listen to the, I can listen to like the source shit that they're pulling yeah. from. Yeah. But I just can't do nostalgia for nostalgia, even though they're doing a great job at it. I just can't. Yeah, I it's can't good. I mean, but I, I get it because there are other acts that I feel 
the same way about like yeah. like you can't get the original out of your head yeah so it's, it's too like, referential yeah it's way too referential to yeah. the point where i'm just like why don't i just listen to that stuff because yeah, it's anderson pack dude is they're, you know, I think the the thing that they bring that's novel to the mix is the the comedy. Like they're funny. They're I funny. like their sense of humor and that like. Yeah, no, I heard fu- Bruno Mars smoked a cigarette. He might have. I didn't even think about it though. But, yeah, it was yeah. like a big. Uh, people were talking about it today. Really? Yeah, that he smoked a cigarette on stage. Why do people care so much about things? Who gives a fuck? Why? <laughs> why I saw a headline. It was like a picture of him. Like it was some controversy. Smoking oh, a cigarette. Ugh. I don't think uh, musicians should be role models or viewed as oh, role clearly. models. They're so broken. <laughs> They're like, so broken. It's like, why are we putting these people up and like thinking, oh, no, Bruno fucking smoked a cigarette. Now my kid's going to br- smoke a cigarette. It's like, that's your fucking fault. <laughs> it's not Bruno's fault. Uh, but um, Olivia Rodrigo, how about her? Did she? So Dude, how was, how was I can't that? believe you haven't seen this shit, man. I hate award shows. But I'll watch this one because you said it was good. It was good because it wasn't really about the award. Like, <laughs> right. They gave, they it was gave a like concert. maybe five awards out. <laughs> it was quick, huh? It was, I mean, it wasn't. It was like it was like three and a half hours, but it was three and a half hours of music. I mean, the, the awards, like the awards. Yeah, the, the awards were quick and damn. Like you almost didn't even know that they were happening because wow. they were so quick. That's um, great. Yeah. So I'm happy about that. Asians. At the Grammys. Yeah. Kicking ass. Uh, This just happened, I guess, in New York. There is a 28-year-old man, whose name I don't care to mention, who assaulted seven Asian women within the span of three hours. This is in Manhattan Mm -hmm. um, uh, on February 27th. And... um, Thankfully, the news this just happened a few hours ago. He has been charged with a hate crime. Oh, wow. Charged with a hate crime. So many times these attacks happen yeah. uh, to elderly Asians, and it's not actually classified <clears throat> or categorized as a hate crime. So I'm happy to see. I mean, it's kind of sad that it takes someone attacking seven <laughs> within three hours for them to go, oh, I guess... I guess it's, it had to there, do with... There's a pattern. There's, there's a, pattern. a pattern here. I guess I see it. There's a pattern. Um, but yeah, the so apparently these seven victims were knocked unconscious. Yeah. And were uh, treated in the hospital for, for concussion. It doesn't look like anyone died, which is great. Um, great news. But uh, awful. What an awful um, story, news story. Yeah, what a segue. I mean, I was really happy about the Grammys. And <laughs> I had to, this is, because this shit is still going on, you know, and, and this, I just can't believe this. I can't believe, I, I can't, um, put, I can't wrap my head around what would compel somebody to do this to, particularly to elderly Asians. Why elderly Asians? Because they're that big, big cowards. I mean, I think, know? I think so. I think that's part of it. I think also they don't think that there's going to be any repercussions yeah because we don't care about elderly asians in this country right exactly yeah they're invisible so if you attack something that's invisible then you're not going to get you know there's you're not going to face any consequences so i think that's a big part of it for sure yeah we hear it all about it all the time it's clearly racially motivated yeah um the thing that i fear the most something that i i'm scared of is um, these attacks becoming organized, 
um, yeah. which could be re- even scarier if that's even possible. Um, it's already terrifying. You know, I have um, so many uh, members of my family who are in that age group and yeah. live in a major city here, San Francisco, where many of these t- attacks happen. So um, we've been, you know, here, my family and uh, community members that I'm connected with are terribly frightened of something like this happening to people we know. Um, so I, I just, I just, I felt like I needed to bring it up because we, as long as this keeps happening, I'm glad that it's still in the news. You yeah. Know, and it's not just yeah, pushed yeah. aside and, and, uh, you know, people just kind of dismissing that it's just a way of like a part of everyday life now, like, like, um, hate crimes against uh, black people as well. Yeah. I mean, I think it's part of it is that it's ever present in, you know, our family members that are of that age, like they carry that fear with them for sure. And I'm sure that they think about it when they're walking through the street, even if it, even if the chances of them getting attacked are low, they still have to make room for those thoughts, which they shouldn't have to make room for those. <clears throat> they shouldn't have to make room for those thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I just wanted to mention that I'm glad that this this um, person, the defendant, is being um, charged, I, I, I would say, correctly or appropriately. But anyways, now let's talk about a Disney movie. For sure, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, naturally. All right, so now let's talk about Turning Red. Uh, the new movie from Disney Pixar that's available now to stream on Disney Plus. Um, it's directed by Domi Shi, and it's based on Domi Shi's um, childhood, like her her, um, her adolescence. She's thirteen, right? Thirteen year old Maylin Lee, mm-hmm. who um, goes to high school in Toronto, the six um, in Canada, and like I said, based on Domi Shi's life, and uh, the movie. He kind of uses this metaphor. So um, Mei Lin uh, does a kind of normal stuff, the normal stuff that a teenage girl would do in high school, like in the early 2000s specifically. She, with her group of friends, um, obsess over boys and boy bands. Yeah. And, um, you know, just kind of care about having fun with each other and and, uh, all that kind of uh, frilly stuff, I guess. Or not frilly. That's important when you're a kid. Yeah, for sure. Hanging out with your friends. But Maylin also really loves her mom and her dad, but particularly her mom. They run uh, a temple in Toronto together, a family temple, and they live there. And she loves her mom. She They have a great time together. Um, they have a good relationship. But as she starts going through changes, um, as her social life starts pulling her away from her very kind of oppressive mom's traditional uh, ways, Maylin starts to turn into a red panda mm-hmm. due to a family curse which is which is uh, again uh, a metaphor for her um body changing right uh taylor what do you think of the movie i thought it was great i mean i thought it captured the heartbreak of uh pulling away from your parents really really well um and that uh I think dilemma that most of us find ourselves in of wanting to form our own identity, but also Mm. mourn the identity that we have as a kid 
in our cha- in our parents' care that feels completely safe. And I think when you pull away from that, that safety starts to disappear, but you get independence in, in return. And yeah, I thought it really captured that um, uh, struggle really well. It's such a, um, I think it's a unique movie in so many ways because like, it's so specific. The time period is specific. Yeah. Um, every, and this is, uh, uh, due to the fact that it is based on Domishi's, uh, uh, younger years. So she's pulling from real life experience here. Um, that's why I feel so personal. And I like that. And I like that the, um, uh, the art style in the movie is so unique. It's very, you know, kind of anime influenced and, and, uh, but you know, 3d and it's like, mm-hmm. it's really cool. I don't like anime. We'll probably talk. We should talk about that. In another episode. <laughs> but I don't really like anime, uh, but this, I, I thought the art style, them employing that art style was really cool. And the story um, was, I've, I've definitely been, I guess, more moved by other Pixar movies and movies in general. I wasn't like super moved by this movie, mm. but I don't think, I mean, it's not a heavy movie. It's not supposed to be that heavy, and that's okay. I, I, this is not even a criticism. I just think I'm happy for the young women who will find recognition in this story. And I found recognition in it, too, just being Asian and kind of knowing, uh, in, in a way, you know, that culture. But um, I, th- I thought it was really beautifully done, and it's funny and entertaining. My daughter, for two weeks, watched it twice a day. For real? Yeah, she's two. And she loves that movie. <laughs> she, she, she she watched that movie a lot. She had no idea what the movie yeah, was about, exactly. which is great. Um, yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit. It's cool that, you know, just to end on this, it's cool that we're seeing Asian movies about Asian people now that aren't just about heritage. Yeah. They're about the you know current times and like what what being mm. asian now is about they're not yeah. just about our parents and our grandparents and our ancestors history now we can talk about the specificities specificities of our lives now yeah it's interesting i mean, i actually was it actually did hit me pretty hard the movie well, how did it hit you hard i think just like the i remember the feeling of pulling away from my parents like Mm. really well. And I remember not wanting to, but knowing that I had to, and that it was more painful to stay where I was at than to move on. Interesting. So in that way, even though, you know, it's specific to this time, specific to this character, like it felt very universal. It is. It is universal. Um, And, yeah, man. I mean, not to spoil anything, but the last, those last scenes in the movie, I was just like floored. I should say Sandra O oh plays the mom and she's so good in this movie. Yeah, she is. Man, she's good. I think also like part of it is having an older son now and knowing that he's going to go through these things too. He's a very yeah. emotional kid. And knowing that he's going to start to pull away. And I think as a parent of small kids, you kind of in some ways are their universe. And then you create this little world, but then at some point they start to pull away from that world. And as parents, we're all going to have to deal with that 
in some way. And it's going to be beautiful, but it's also going to be heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. I definitely feel that. Um, so many kind of layers in this movie and um, cultural touchstones. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I talked, um, not in the conversation we're about to share, but I, I actually spoke to Domishi twice. Um, for, oh, really? For, for, yeah. I spoke to her while uh, I was actually in Ireland, but I, I was working while I was in Ireland. Mm. I did a Zoom call to her while she was in Emeryville, <laughs> which oh, I, I prefer like just mile, live miles away, but I was in yeah. Ireland at the time. I did a Zoom call with her and I said, um, I thought it was funny that, uh, so the music in the movie is done by Billie Eilish and Phineas. Oh, really? I didn't realize that. Phineas plays the main boy band member. Mm-hmm. <laughs> member. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so funny because I, I told Domi Shi, I was like, I, were they even alive when that music was popular? And Domi Shi said, no, <laughs> they, weren't, <laughs> they weren't even alive. But I guess, I guess she told me that uh, Billy and Phineas just listened to a bunch of that. They were already kind of fans of that music, hmm. but then they just went deep and, and listened to it. And got, I thought they got it right. Like that, that music sounds so accurate to boy band music at the time. Oh yeah, for sure. And it was so specific to that time. Like the TRL yeah. days of in sync backstreet boys, 98 degrees. Were there any others? I'm sure there were. O-Town. O-Town. The movie's boy band is called Four Town, <laughs> which, which is funny because I think the mom character says, like, why are there five of them? Oh, that's right. they called Four Town. That's right. I <laughs> forgot funny. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that I just loved how unique this movie was. Like, it, there was nothing um, that didn't feel personal here, uh, mm-hmm. which which was great. So, and Domi, she was lovely. Actually, um, right now, guys. Um, I actually had the opportunity, like I said, to speak to Domi Shi. The first time I was, it was over Zoom. And the second time, we actually went to the San Francisco Zoo, where they had, I interviewed Domi, Domi. <laughs> but uh, there were red pandas frolicking around. So what you're about to hear, where we are at a zoo, you're going to hear people in the background and probably pandas. <laughs> if they, I, didn't, I don't remember them making any noise. But. Do, you, do you think she's like, Jesus Christ, there's just a move. Like, we have to do all this press in the fucking panda habitat? <laughs> like throwing shit at us and stuff. <laughs> but yeah, um, big congrats to Pixar and Domi Shi for, for this. Um, so guys, here's a quick conversation between me and Domi Shi about turning red. How does it feel to, you know, um, you know, Pixar has been here forever in the Bay Area, but now that we're releasing this film here, mm-hmm. it's really special for our community, I think. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. It's. I mean, it, it like the SF Zoo and like SF Chinatown, like all of these places were super um, important in like doing research for the movie and. Um, I've lived here for the last 10 years, so it was, it's just been awesome being able to make it and to kind of, and then show the movie at the Grand Lake Theater. Um, yeah, all that is great. So many locals, like, help make the movie happen, too. It's awesome. There's, so I know the movie means a lot to, like, our generation, you know, um, and our parents as well. What do you think the movie means for his generation? Like, the kids, the kids who are coming up now, and these, these these stories are starting to be told finally. Yeah, I mean, like one of the reasons why I made the, this movie was like for that 13-year-old me who didn't see a lot of herself in the movies and the TV shows that she watched on TV and hopefully, you know, 
For him and for kids and teens going through changes, big changes, this movie will help guide them through it, help let them know that, like, even, like, growing up is going to be messy and sometimes scary, sometimes embarrassing, but, it, you know, it, it, like, happens to everybody and it's totally normal and you're not alone and it should be celebrated, you know? Yeah, I love I love the honesty of the movie. It's so, so personal and honest. And I, when I talked to you last week, you said... We were talking about how kind of horrifying that experience can be, and you were like, "Oh, I was, I was hairier." At the yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I love that. I love how honest you can be in this kind of movie that everyone can watch. Yeah, I mean, yikes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I feel, I felt like uh, when I was thirteen, the teens I saw on TV were beautiful-looking, like hot adults <laughs> playing teenagers, and they didn't look like me or, or uh, go through any of the issues that I was having and I was like I was just expecting like through watching those TV shows and movies like oh when I come of age I will turn into a hot supermodel right and it's not happening and, and is there something wrong with me so just to have a, a movie that kind of honestly talks about that and also I am really proud of, of, of May and her mom and like May's design how she doesn't look like you know like a huge-eyed princess. She has chunky ankles. She has like <laughs> moles on her face. She has patchy eyebrows. That all of these qualities that um, you know that I had growing up, I was that I never saw really celebrated or portrayed in movies. We can finally have that, you know. I think it's the specificity, all the specificities in the movie, the the time, the, the tamagotchis, the, you know everything that makes it so special for, especially for like uh, Asian people, because our experience has never been shown in such specificity it, historically in the in the industry. So how does it feel to get, get this is like super specific in this story. So it's really cool. Yeah, yeah, it's super specific. And I love that we are showing that something that is super specific, super cultures, culturally specific can also be a universal story that millions and millions of people can relate to. And we're like redefining what universal stories look like and who gets to tell them like with stories like these. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really exciting time to be in film and animation right now. I remember uh, the time period vividly, the early aughts, um, you know, and I remember thinking, Oh, the '80s were so goofy, and yeah. the '90s were so goofy. But the, you know, we're cool now. Like this is, we've <laughs> yeah. got everything. We were all cool. We yeah. were wearing silver, and uh, <laughs> we were wearing silver pants <laughs> yeah. and frosted tips, and we're like, this is cool. This is pretty cool. <laughs> so, how was it for you and the team to bring that time period to the screen? It's so much fun to see. Oh, it's amazing. Uh, yeah, I have so much nostalgia for for the early aughts, uh, boy bands, um, and the music was like. But the pop music was so good and it was just great to just fill this movie with with all of that um and i think that the early aughts are coming back now too i think the new generation is like really embracing like y2k and all that stuff and it was fun to kind of go back and like revisit things that i'd forgotten about that i thought were so fun like like mix cds like i yeah. love how um that was such a thing with me and my friends like we would craft like 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 carefully craft cds and like i would think about like how to start you know like the 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 the, the album and like like which songs to start and then, just, and then i would draw like artwork on the cds and we would exchange them with each other and 
Instas and then flip phones and then like because you were charged like per word for text. Right, right. So, so, so I had to like really think about like how to like shorten it, like your text. Like everything kind of meant more, like objects and things kind of felt more special in that way. And it was really cool to put it all in the movie. I hear a kid. Yeah, you hear the kids? New friends. Um, the generationality of the story yeah. is just, I think it was really well done because um, you, you didn't vilify um, the the parents. Ming, yeah. yeah, Ming and, and the grandma, yeah. you know, like a lot of other movies have historically. Yeah. You talk about making sure that they, they were portrayed as humans as well. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, that is because, you know, of, of, the, of the Asian specificity of, mm. you know, of the relationship between May and, and her mom and her family. Like, this is a story that's kind of different than maybe, like, Western stories that deal with, like, coming of age and, like, a kid who's, like, rebellious from the beginning, who, like, hates their family, just wants to emancipate themselves from their, their mom and their family. And then they eventually do, and the parents, like, oh, I see the error of my ways, go, be free. Like, that's not our experience I think like I think uh, for me and a lot of Asian kids and immigrant kids like like we genuinely love our family and we like want their their like support and, and, and love and, and we want them to be a part of our lives but at the same time we're growing up in an environment and in a generation that's like different from mm. our, our, our parents so we're turning we can't help but be turning into different people from them that are going to like eventually kind of like move apart from them so there's like a a subtlety and like a bittersweetness to that that i really wanted to like uh include in the movie and and to also show like where the mom's coming from too and the grandparents and just to try to understand that side a little bit better because all of it comes from love you know like uh and you know, there's this responsibility that I had with depicting this in relationship uh, and these characters, especially the character of the mom, to make sure she wasn't one-dimensional or fell into the tiger mom stereotype. And I think an, a way to do that is to kind of see where she came from and, and always kind of portray her on screen. Like, even if she's doing the kookiest, wackiest thing to, to like, it, it comes from a place of love and wanting to protect May, and I think that's ultimately what all of our parents are trying to do, even when they're doing crazy stuff like following us to middle school, which my mom totally did, and hide behind a tree with sunglasses on, <laughs> doing it out of love. Too, yeah. yeah, yeah, right. It's all out of love and protection. So, yeah. So what I what's really cool about the movie, I think, is it's there's the emphasis on the friendship, and not like there's no like. They're crushing on boys, but it, it's the band. It's not, you know, it's, there's yeah, a distance yeah, yeah. there. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. that's cool that you guys did that. I'm sure it's true to life as well. Yeah. But talk about that, n- not making like uh, it about some romantic like crush. Or yeah, anything. exactly. Yeah. I think it was just more about being like that super fan, that feeling of like, you know, we love that the stakes are yeah. are kind of real. Like that it's like, it feels like it's life or death if you get to go to your first concert with your friends when you're 13 years old. And mm-hmm. and we love the fact that it was more about just them having this collective obsession, obsession versus mm. kind of this, you know, romantic yeah. attraction. It was more just like, oh my gosh, they, they're, they're songs speak to me and I love them. And it was like, they love them because they all collectively love them, mm-hmm. you know? I think there's also a trope in, in a, stories like this, not like this, but um, that are similar where 
in other movies, maybe that boy band, the the boys would end up being just like these kind of idiots that yeah. that ruin everything. Yeah, but they're actually you get they're they actually cool. The they save the day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's cool. We love yeah. boys. Yeah, <laughs> and they and they play a huge part in yeah. like in the life of a girl growing up and coming of age. You intentionally didn't want to make fun of like you wanted boy it band. to be treated seriously. Like, yeah. This is, I mean, I think a lot of the times boy bands and things that teen girls like are made fun of a lot and kind of looked down on in media, but boy bands are like a pivotal like, mm-hmm. like part of a teen girl's life. They're kind of their first introduction to boys, to that world. Like, it's like a safe, soft, mm-hmm. like, well-dressed kind of, like, gateway mm-hmm. into, into adolescence and adulthood. And, um... And yeah, and and these girls and boys like like they like genuinely like love and bond over uh, over these boy bands. So we wanted to like treat it with the respect that it deserved. You know, <laughs> I appreciate it. I was a fan too. Nice, <laughs> yeah, right? Yes, it's real. Yes, it's good totally music. Like, yeah, Tyler, totally you good were Tyler. Music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally Tyler. <laughs> yeah. I loved, and that was one of the things that Billy was so great about when we pitched this idea was just this fact of like. She knows what it feels like to be a fan, you know. Um, oh, sorry, so. Uh, you want him right now? Thank you, no, no, it's good. Um, thanks, Debbie. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like they, they, you know, she was like, I know, you know, she was, she talks openly about the fact that she was super obsessed with Justin Bieber right. as a kid and stuff. So it's like, it just is kind of this universal memory, I think, of that time of feeling like you had these like really deep feelings about a band speaking to you. Yeah. You know. Beautiful. Congratulations on the movie, and I appreciate the time. Thank you. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you. It was nice to meet you. Thanks to meet you, too. All right, Taylor. So we talked about the early 2000s and turning red, Mm -hmm. the setting. Now let's get real. We lived it. We're old. (laughs) Yeah. Domi, she is our age. Yeah. So we were um, adolescents. At that time as well, um, we lived through the whole boy band era and the TRL mm. thing and the uh, silver clothing everywhere. <laughs> there was a lot of silver, like, shiny, shiny clothes. clothes. <laughs> shiny clothes, yeah. just everywhere for no reason. Yeah, there was a lot of shiny Platinum clothes. hair. Yeah. It, it, was, uh, it was a strange time. Like, I'm growing fonder of it as, I, as the distance you know, yeah, uh, sure. uh, increases as time goes by. I, I'm starting to get a little nostalgic for it. Oh, don't <laughs> call back to season three. Season three. <laughs> Our dissertation on nostalgia. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. So this is this is a time where you and I were like best of friends. We're we were um confused little Asians mm-hmm. running around high school and middle school. Yeah. Um I w I don't know about you, but I was definitely running home to watch Total Request Live on MTV. What is it? What is it about that? I'm as like I said, as it's becoming a more distant memory. I'm growing fonder of that time. Why? I thought it was so cheesy for the longest time. Like, well, I think even when what you just said about like uh, going home, turning on the TV, and there was no on demand, and we just had to kind of watch what was on. It was like a full era of collective experience. Mm. Where like we were always experiencing the same things at the same time, where now everything is you know on demand. We live in an on demand culture where we're who 
Like you might watch Pen15 20 years from now <laughs> and then we'll have a recap of it, right? Very likely. <laughs> <laughs> but then it was like we were all living the same lives. Like when Miseducation and Lauren Hill came out, like it was the biggest shit in the world. It was an world. event. It was an event. You knew everyone was and watching. everyone had it. You know, it's like there nothing exists like that because there's nothing to have anymore. <laughs> yeah, there are some bastion. I think there's like a, just uh, like, I guess like live sporting events. Uh, yeah, there's know. like some that exist still. Award shows. Award know. shows, which is why I still love that shit. Yeah. Because it's like the last, you know, remnants of it. Live TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. You know. Um, that is part of it, huh? Yeah, I think so. I and mean, it is for me at least, for sure. Um, I love events. I love collective experiences. What What were we like back then in the early two thousands, like two thousand, two thousand one, two thousand two, maybe ninety nine? I mean, confused. Very. I. I mean, <laughs> okay, Taylor's saying he's confused. I, however confused he was, I was ten times more confused. It was. We were, I mean, I think this is, I mean, we're talking as if this is like an uncommon thing for adolescents to feel. Yeah, everyone's confused. Yeah, we're all trying to find our identity back. But I, I remember thinking at the time that I could tell everyone around me was way more well-adjusted than I was. And I'm sure that wasn't true. No. But even now, thinking back, there are certain interactions I can remember where I just, I'm crippled with embarrassment. Because I was so awkward back then. Mm. I, I was basically a sociopath. I didn't know how to talk to... I would like... When there's a girl I had a crush on, I would like... Rehearse in my head over and over what I'm going to say to her the next day. Dude, that's not sociopathic. That's just... Is that not sociopathic? That's teenage behavior. <laughs> it is, but it's also <laughs> sociopathic. But I, I felt like I was... Uh, I didn't know who I wanted to... Um, you know, other than you, like our friend group, other than our friend group, <laughs> it was me, Taylor, and one other guy. <laughs> now, barely a group. Who's not Asian, that's why he's not on this podcast. Yeah, one. <laughs> but uh, I just did, I didn't know who I wanted to be, and I didn't know who I wanted to impress. Uh, I tried to impress everybody, you know. Um, that's so normal, though, man. Like, but you because, were cool. You were, you were no, cool. I was. <laughs> Taylor was so normal. You were I was so not, cool. I was fat, and I got made fun of all the time for it. <laughs> like all the time, <laughs> and it was so uncomfortable. Like that's just high school, or that's just growing up. Yeah, and you're like, right, you're right, and going through all these different phases. It's not. It's not insincere. It's like, if anything, it's the opposite of that. It's like mm. you're trying to figure out who the fuck you are because you have yeah. no idea. So you're trying like everything out. And then some things stick, some things don't. And then some of that stuff you take with you and some of that stuff you leave behind. But I think that's just everybody's experience. It's just some people do a better job of not making it look that way. That's true. You know, every, everyone deals with stuff that you... you a lot of the stuff people deal with, you'd never know. And right. Um, but, uh, you know, I, of course I, I happy with the person I am now, but, uh, sometimes I, I think about back then and the thing that 
stands out about the early 2000s and me is just like, I just was not comfortable in my own skin. Um, again, not saying that this is like unique or anything, but this was my experience. Um, incredibly uncomfortable. Uh, it was a much more racist time back then. My Asianness was a topic of conversation constantly uh, with everybody around me, essentially. So it was, yeah, it was uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. That, I, I think that's the word for me. I don't know about you. No, definitely uncomfortable, but it feels like it's more visceral for you as you look back on it. Yeah. Than it is for me. Like, I was uncomfortable, and I'm, but, and I was, I mean, that's probably the first time I started developing symptoms of depression and anxiety mm. for sure. Um, so that was not a fun time. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I don't know. I just feel like I have a lot of, I don't know, forgiveness for myself back then. I need. I think I need to do that. I need to learn how to do that. Um, yeah, better for sure. I need to learn how to do that. But it's just hard. It's just hard because I'm so. I'm so. Ah, I can't. This isn't even the topic of the podcast. But I got it. It's just what I think of when I think of that time. I'm just so embarrassed of so many things I said, so many things I did. Um, I know I'm a. I was a kid, but I also like have to recognize that I'm not that different now. Like from the, like, like not saying that I'm like immature now, but I knew what I was doing <laughs> like, like back then. It wasn't like I was that clueless about what I was doing. Like I hurt people and I, I, uh, nothing, nothing this sounds like it's something crazy. Like I like hit someone with my car or something, <laughs> but no, I just didn't, I didn't treat people the way they should be treated. And I think at the time I knew better, but I was like fighting to be accepted. So I would try to shove people down. I don't know. So you can tell that this was a fraught period of my life. <laughs> yeah. I know. I mean, I you know that you're doing shit to people, for sure. You know when you're not being kind to somebody yeah, at that age. Yeah. I don't think you fully know the consequences yet. That's, I think that's you, right. That's right. I think you know like the things that are on the surface, but you don't know what that person's taking with them. Yeah. Right. And I don't think you think about that because you're so self-centered and you're so worried about yeah, yeah. what's what's happening for you and what's happening in the next moment for yourself. So, like, yeah, you definitely had a morality that told you this is should not be I should not be doing this. But I don't think you really, really fully grasped the gravity of everything that you were doing. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, yeah, absolutely. I need to, I need to learn how to forgive my younger self more, but, um, you also were like way nicer than I was. In I wasn't a bad school. guy. I wasn't a bad guy. So, okay. Like, like I was a way bigger <laughs> asshole in, in high school than, than you, you were. <laughs> I got, we got to bring up, um, girls. Yeah. That was just like our whole life back then. We just yeah. wanted girls. Well, I would do anything. Anything. Maybe not anything. But I tried my damnedest yeah. to get some booty in, in high school, and I was not very successful. I didn't really try that hard. I mean, honestly, like, I, I've joked about it a couple times, but, like, yeah, I was a fat kid. So for... Not in high school. For the first two years. Is that right? Yeah. And it's tough. 
Like yeah. you don't even think about being with anybody. You just kind of already are on the outside and you just assume like you're never going to be able to have a girlfriend or whatever. So most of my high school experience, like half of my high school experience was just spent thinking about what it would be like and not thinking that it would ever actually be a reality. So lots of emo, lots of emo. Emo. That was big for us. Yeah. Emo. It's perfect. Yeah. Emo came out around that time. It's a perfect storm. It's, you said, that, yeah, you, you mentioned this to me before. That's kind of, uh, you know, I'm paraphrasing. You'll correct me, but it's like kind of like what you needed at the time. Yeah, because it was like, I mean, emo at that time was hella toxic, too. <laughs> it was like, How was it toxic? I mean, just it was just blaming girls for every problem that ever existed. <laughs> and it was like... It's really vindictive, too. It was like, it was like fucking... So addictive to a fat kid. It's like, yeah, they're the fucking problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it was terrible, terrible music. Oddly influential now, but in great ways. But yeah, it's like it's in its final form now. We're yeah, seeing like, all these women just. Driver's make License the is the emo, emo song. Oh, oh man. Driver's lived- License might be the best emo song ever written. <laughs> no, but yeah, girl. So, like, at the time. Girls, I was just obsessed. Uh, and I couldn't, my problem, and Taylor knows this, but I'm going to tell you guys. Problem was, I was a short Asian kid. I, I thought, oh, my, my growth spurt's coming. It's, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm only, I'm, listen, I'm 15 here. I've got a few more years here. I'm going to shoot up. Five foot nothing. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, never happened. But I uh, also didn't, I only liked white girls. Yeah. We lived in our little white town and I'm a little Asian guy. I mean, you had a lot of, you had a lot of to pull from. A lot to pull from, but none of them liked me. Yeah. Yeah. None of them liked me. Not easy being Asian in a (laughs) small town. I mean, I hope for um, Asians of future generations. Now that we have Asian leading men being treated as sexual objects. I feel like that's gonna catch fire. Look at BTS, man! If BTS was popular back in the day, we would have been we would have been having to fight <laughs> off the girls. I, <laughs> they look like us when we were that age. I looked like that. <laughs> God damn it! Now all these girl, all these girls want BTS. Do they though? Like that's what I don't understand. Yeah. Do they really? Dude, I saw I saw um it's I so I was fascinated by this. Yeah. Um. Because I saw BTS years ago, and I heard there was this phenomenon, and I was yeah. like, but girls don't really like them. Right. They look like I look like, like when I was <laughs> a kid. They, they look like little boys, essentially. Right. You know, like they look very young and yeah. kind of fragile and frail, <laughs> um, <laughs> to be honest. Um, you know, not the most intimidating or macho or, you know, scruffy looking dudes. Right. They look like preteens. Right. Um, and then I saw all these clips of, like, white chicks... Just going insane over these dudes. Mm. Emma uh, Emma Stone, mm. I saw an interview with her. She was talking about BTS because she hosted the episode of SNL where they were the guests. Mm. And she told one of the late night Jimmies that she was watching their rehearsal and she like squealed 
Mm. And it was like an, it was like, um, involuntary, <laughs> involuntary squeal. Cause she was, she was so excited to watch BTS. You could, you, you could have used some involuntary squeals back in high school. I did, yeah. I did not elicit any <laughs> noises of any sort from, but overall, I, th- I think, uh, my favorite thing about that time was just us hanging out, um, talking shit all day, <laughs> me distracting you from actually getting good grades. I mean, we literally just did the same thing for three, like yeah. two or three hours. <laughs> and now the only difference is I'm just like waking up my kids while we're doing it. Yeah, just press record and wake up the house. Um, but yeah, and I'm not going to say that it was like the fondest time for me, the no. early 2000s. I think much like in Turning Red, uh, it, it was really complicated and, and yeah. painful and... Um, in a different way for us, obviously, than than in Turning Red. But, uh, yeah, weird time. I mean, teenage years can, like, you can look back at them with fondness and horror all in the same breath. You know, it's like, it's such a shit show of a it's time fucked up. <laughs> yeah where there's scenes that i'm like oh that was so amazing and there's scenes where i'm, like, I'm fucking never go back to that ever in my life and i'm way happier now probably than i was back then in some ways in some ways i was probably happier back then just because i didn't have to do anything <laughs> 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 and that was fun but um yeah i mean it's just a hard time and we both have kids that are gonna go through it and yeah. it's gonna be fucking bizarre to watch but anyways uh, thank you guys for listening um season four <laughs> best friends what episode is this we, uh, we still we don't talk about the number right it's only episode 11 <laughs> whoa yeah we haven't made a lot of progress but we had a lot of seasons yeah season four man all right guys i'm bernard and i'm taylor and we are your asian best friends i'll see you next time for season five. <laughs> For season five. <laughs> <laughs>